good. It's so bad that it's good. That is the wrong answer, actually. <laughs> it's just a wild romp. I'm feeling this. Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, maybe even you, into what we like. This week is Andy Kaufman. My name is Jeff, and a gas station attendant once suggested I rub a green lemon on my face to cure my rosacea. So I did. It burned, and I'm still rosy. Moral of the story, if someone doesn't know what a lime is, don't take medical advice from them. My name is Jimmy, and after learning what PowerPoint was in the mid-2000s, I made an enormous PowerPoint about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> my name is Dan, and I brush my teeth at work. <laughs> oh, you're, you're one, one of those, those guys? <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah. There's always a guy who yeah. does it. So... We talked about improving our dental hygiene. Yes, we have. I've been going to- Don't go to the dentist for 15 years and you're fine. It's funny that you say that because I didn't go to the dentist for like five years and my first appointment back was surprisingly good. He was like, oh, you know, you need to keep up with things. You have one small cavity. And I was like, okay. So I got the cavity filled and six months later, which was just last week, I went Mm. for my follow-up appointment and my teeth were worse than they've ever been. See, I, I'm i worried about that, too, because I have a follow-up coming up. I've been keeping better care of my teeth than I ever have. I'm brushing twice a day. I'm flossing. I never floss my whole life. Yeah. So I'm like, Here's what the my hell? theory, because I had that one small filling, and since then, my tooth has been bothering me more than it ever has. I think they're going in there. Hear me out. <laughs> and I think they're messing with our teeth oh. for job security. All I'm going to say is literally my entire life, I've had two cavities. That included the one that, you know, after the five years. Right. This time, after six months, I had two cavities. And I'm wow. like, what the hell? I have double the cavities of the rest of my entire life combined. You know what <laughs> happened? You're brushing off the protective surface. Yeah, I'm brushing off the grime. <laughs> So, Jim, yeah. how old were you, and oh. what did you do with a Sonic the Hedgehog PowerPoint? Oh, nothing. It was just for me. I was going to say, that what's That is goal? creepier. Yeah. Did you, it like, go a... to school like teacher? This is why we need to learn <laughs> about Emerald Hills. <laughs> I don't remember why. It was just because I was in, I think, fifth grade. So, how old are you? Like, 10? Yeah. Um. So, I remember specifically learning PowerPoint, and I was like, I could do this at home. So, I, I think I was practicing and stuff, and... I, maybe I just always thought PowerPoint presentations were cool, but um, I just learned so much about PowerPoint and I, so much about Sonic the Hedgehog. Now you yeah, well, your resume proficient in Microsoft <laughs> Office. Uh, just as a kid, I'm sure as listeners know, I was really into Sonic the Hedgehog when I was younger, and um, so it had music transitions it pictures. had everything it had sonic music oh yeah it, it for sure in his and defense sonic music is pretty great video game sonic music is yeah. pretty good but um it it's so funny because i was working on it for so long that i would eventually start putting like sonic news in there so like oh my god <laughs> they're having a crossover with mario when the sonic you weren't and mario. showing this to anyone no it was just for me do you still have those files i want to look for them <sighs> i don't I don't know. It's not a really old computer right. at this point. Um, but I, if I do f- somehow find it, oh, that's going on it's Patreon, going on Patreon. Absolutely. It, it's so good. <laughs> I love that green lemon story. That's probably <laughs> my favorite story of Jeff's. Yeah. It's so good. It's a classic. So at this point, 
we we don't I don't think we have any reviews right now, but we did oh. get a little bit of reaction um, from the Twitter sphere oh, yeah? regarding an ongoing debate that's been going you know through some of our episodes yeah. as to the, oh. the title of my father. <laughs> Four star Brian <laughs> okay. slash five star I'm Brian. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. So uh, we did get uh, an email actually from a listener of ours, Brett, who um, who said four star Brian for life. Oh. Just his opinion. Wow. And then we Bold got another words. we got another tweet. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically the same thing, saying that he needs to stay four star Brian. Like he's a five star dad, but he's four yeah. star Brian. Yeah. So, I think I did see that one. You know, you guys are being a little harsh on my dad. He's a good guy. He's yeah, a listener. he's uh, he's already officially been promoted to five star Brian. Yeah. So Yeah, we can't take that title away from him. That would just be heartbreaking. It was a very funny five months. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> he but he was very upset about it. And keeping things in the family as this podcast does, because we're so close knit. Um, my cousin Richie sent me a text and he said, Hey, honored to be mentioned on the historic Weird Al episode two. That bad boy lasted me two commutes. Also, Ball of Twine is an absolute ripper. Never heard that one before. LOL. So if you want to be featured in an upcoming episode, personally text me. Yeah. Or <laughs> be my cousin. What's your phone number, Jeff? Yeah. Send us a tweet, send us an email, you know, at talkmeinto or talkmeinto at gmail.com. And we're going to read it, baby. Now, this is the story all about how we talk ourselves into things. I love this version. I already understand that comment of loud obnoxious. Oh, wow. (laughs) I didn't do it that way. This is a story. No, um, that's very loud. Just just a bit obnoxious. Okay. So this week. I have been talking my niece into things. Wow. You're molding her like you molded Jimmy. I was going (laughs) to say, I call this Jimmy the sequel. (laughs) So when Jimmy was little, I I curated his interests. A lot of them, yeah. Present him with, you know, I wasn't the only one. He had a dad. He had, you know, people. I had a dad. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Sean. (laughs) Blues Brothers. Five star Sean, by the way. Uh, oh. He didn't have to get promoted. He started out at five. But I, I would find out what Jimmy was interested in, and I would be like, "Oh, if you like that, you might like this." Yeah. And that's how people like things. <laughs> so recently, like, I mean, since she was born, I've been getting my niece into like Star Wars and stuff like that. Yeah. Weird thing is, with kids, they don't have memories. So now she's seven, and we last watched Star Wars like two years ago, and she doesn't even know who Luke Skywalker is. It's wow. like it never I, existed. We were sitting in this room while watching The Force Awakens on Blu-ray when she was like three. And she knew like everything she, about it. Oh, she <laughs> know, dude, she knows more about Star Wars than me. Not anymore. She doesn't. It was crazy how much stuff she knew. We'd be watching the movie. She's like, oh, this is this character, and they come from this planet. And I'm like, nerd. <laughs> it's, it's freaky. So I started realizing that she wasn't remembering things, so we're like- I'm like, we have to rewatch these so you're ready for the movie in December. And uh, yeah, so we're in the middle of that. But also musically, like I drive her to piano lessons every week and I'm always trying to get her into good music because a lot of stuff she listens to is not good. So <laughs> recently, I think we mentioned on here that I've been playing her the Rancid. Yeah. yeah. And, and so now I'm like, oh, if you like Rancid, you got to listen to who they liked. Here's the Clash. Oh, oh my that's God. Nice. That's and fun. she's starting to get into the Clash. I made her a playlist of what I call bangers because <laughs> she's really more only into like the, the more dancey stuff, like yeah. rock, rock the Casbah, should Sand I stay, should I go? Kind of stuff. No, not even like that. Just like the bigger, like hit, poppier stuff. Okay. 
So I made her a playlist with like 10 songs. And then if she gets into those, I'll give her some more. And it's fun. She's going to be so rad. Like, I mean, yeah. Her uh, her first day outfit was so dope. Yeah, for the first day of school, she wore like a, a studded denim vest with like rancid patches on it and pins and stuff. And a talk me into pin. Talk me into pin. Yeah. And I'm actually in the process of purchasing her a pair of floral print Doc Martens. That's Wow. Because she's cool. You are molding her in your image. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jim, what are you talking yourself into these days? <laughs> So uh, uh, last week, I was trying to talk myself into taking some more spontaneous trips. Mm. Dan, and, Dan and I were talking earlier before the pod I about like how I, uh, I just took a trip to the city, the Big Apple, as they call it. And um, I, I just wanted a, a, a day just to walk around, do some things that I like to do. Um, uh, so I took my little brother. He's, he's a bit of a foodie. Are you which, molding him? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm molding him. I think he's molding Jimmy. I think so. <laughs> a lot of ways that he is. And he's like 11 years younger than me. Cause he told Jimmy what ramen shop to go to. And I'm like, how was it? And Jimmy was like, it was good. I don't know the name of it, but it was yeah. good. Yeah. It was like Ishanan or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I just like to it's so funny we've talked endlessly about new york city we, we all like new york city yeah it's just so close it's so easy to go so yeah i just i want to take more spontaneous trips there not even necessarily there maybe i want to like go to philly or something just oh, yeah. randomly boston's fun boston's a good one too uh, I, i've only been to boston a couple times but i haven't really explored it's hard you have to know kind of where you want to be yeah, yeah there's a lot of like tiny side streets right there was like yeah. no city planning back then they were just yeah. like we they live here and have together. horses and it's more <laughs> spread out. New York, you can just go there and find stuff to do. Yeah. Boston, you kind of got to have a plan. But where, where'd you take the train out of, just out of curiosity? Oh, uh, Milford. Oh. I picked my brother up in Derby. Right. So For all you close. Southern CT geography fans out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We bought that valley. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we went to Forbidden Planet, which is growingly becoming one of my favorite comic book stores. It's a great store. Yeah. It, I, I got a, I actually got the Paper Girls hardcover that Dan, I got Dan a while ago. Where's the uh, love for Jim Henley's universe? It's closed. Oh. Yep. Oh yeah. I don't think I've ever been there. Well, you I, won't I really anymore. Like Cosmic Comics, the place that was upstairs. Yeah. That place is cool. I've been there. That was a cool one. Fresh. Yeah. That was, I, I'm trying to remember what else I got. I wonder if that place is still there. Mm. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I got the, mm. the Batman Damned, the new one that just came out by uh, Brian Azzarello. He they still make comics? Yeah. That's <laughs> a joke. It's crazy, right? Um, is that the one where they... Uh... Show Batman's ween? Yeah. Yeah, it is censored in this one. Oh. Yeah. Mm. They had to censor it, which is... Poor Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, because when that first came out, I was thinking about getting it, because... Why not? Obviously, it's going to probably make a lot of money, because it's not going to be reprinted. Um but whatever, this is a tangent. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to take more spontaneous trips. Jeff, what are you talking yourself into? Bruce I Wayne's wiener. Love Bruce Wayne's Batwing. <laughs> um, yeah, so this one is kind of building on uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was trying to talk myself into tying a tie, which I've done because I have to. Huzzah. Now I am trying so hard to find out how the hell to iron clothes <laughs> oh can't help you there it's like it's origami hard. oh yeah. yeah i don't get it and like when i first started this job my wife was lovely one day she had off and she ironed all my clothes for the week Did she not to do it properly took her a very long time and she's like my body hurts doing this <laughs> but like it, everything looked good and then i started to iron my clothes for the next day and 
I don't know where to fold it. Nope. Then you can't do. I don't. I I just don't understand the geometry of clothing because it's meant to be on a three D body. <laughs> yeah. But you have to lay it on a two D surface in yeah. order to make these seams. And like, then I get one seam right, but there's a seam underneath that's folded. Oh yeah. boy. And. You can actually make it worse. That's the scary. Yeah, thing. that's what yeah. I was so afraid of. Because like my pants, I there's I got two seams on one leg now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been there. And what I've decided after years of working in banking and having to have nice looking clothes is, uh, don't care. Don't uh, buy wrinkle free. If you see that on a package, mm. buy that. I have I have three shirts from H and M called Easy Iron. Okay, and they were not. Well, and here's the other tip: give up on ironing. And be more diligent about your washing and drying experience. So I don't put them in the dryer. I let them hang. Okay. So that's that's a good start. Yes. You can dry them, but you have to remove them either slightly before I'm not the doing cycle that. is finished. No, that's not happening. Or immediately after. You can't let them sit. Oh, right, right. No, I'm not doing that anyway. Or here's a little tip. If you have something that's wrinkled in a fix and you don't have time to iron or whatever i leave it hanging in the bathroom when i take a shower yep or you, you could throw it back into the dryer with a wet washcloth oh. and that'll create steam it's just this is what we do when know, we don't man. know how to iron yeah there was one <laughs> day i just went to work with wrinkly clothes and like i just felt like a dirt bag yeah 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 oh, well, so if great. you know how to iron email us <laughs> or send jeff a tweet because and i think i, I would the, like to learn how to i iron. think i left the water in there too long because i smelled musty the next day oh jeff i'm a bad boy yeah <laughs> i've got an ironing board in my basement that i don't even know how to use i iron on, on a table on yeah a, i put a on towel on a towel 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 Andrew Jeffrey Kaufman, known by his stage name, Andy Kaufman. Big stretch there. It is a big stretch. Was a, I call him a comedian. I call him a performance artist. Yeah. He's a, he was a performer. He was an entertainer. He was a funny man. Song and dance man. He did love song and dance. He was a huge fan of Elvis and he eventually did uh, an Elvis impersonation, which was very popular. Mm. Um, his most mainstream success was on the television show Taxi, which ran from the late 70s, early 80s mm-hmm. with Danny DeVito, Tony Danza, a bunch of other people you've seen that I can't remember their names. <laughs> um, he was on early episodes of Saturday Night Live yeah. um, back when Saturday Night Live had less of a format. Um, right. You, the last, you know, 35 years or so, it has a pretty... uniform structure yeah exactly pretty uniform structure which is exactly what i was going to say dan um but back then it was a little more loose and he would do some weird stuff Um, they would also come on with like the muppets for no reason yeah well jim henson was a huge part of snl um before like he was really i didn't know that that's uh yeah um and so what jeff's alluding to is andy kaufman would come on and do like a weird skit yeah i'm i'm somewhat familiar with those i've never seen them but Right, and, and a lot of those that. are in the playlist, which is in the show notes. So we're going to get more in depth with all of that in the second half of this episode. Mm-hmm. But this half is just kind of to introduce the audience and Jimmy um, to Andy Kaufman. Um, so I know that, Jimmy, you said that you're interested in this because you don't know anything about him except for, like, he's known for being this avant-garde comedian. Yes. So what's crazy is, like, he was he was at the forefront of like this weird, like alternate 
comedy scene, if you want to call it. You know, there's like Tim and Eric. Yes. Are like your generation, yeah. not mine, because I'm older than no, <laughs> our generation. Like, like, oh, this is some weird out yeah. there comedy and stuff. But like to me, Andy Kaufman was a huge inspiration to people like them. And he would do stuff very subtly and not not even things that are funny, but he would just present things in a way that were awkward, that were controversial for the sake of controversy. And he wasn't afraid of people hating him. The one I'm familiar with is uh, in the middle of his special, it just went to static. So people would, uh, yeah, that's a. So people would try and tune their channel to uh, to get it to work or something, right? And if you've seen the biopic "Man on the Moon" with Jim Carrey, a lot of his classics are in there like that, and him trying to explain to the executives why to do it because he had this (laughs) this special on TV, Um, and he just thought it was funny. Like, yeah, that's that's that is funny. That's the kind of thing where when you're when you're on a stage in front of an audience, like as a comedian, I've never done this, but when you tell a joke, you know instantly whether it's funny. And you nailed it Mm. or it bombs. There's Mm -hmm. laughter. That's the response. Andy Kaufman didn't need that. He didn't want that reaction. He was desiring confusion. I think he was eliciting some sort of an emotional response. Correct. Which laughter is one option, but hatred and vitriol is another. Right. Mm. He is, you know, he's the master troll and he did it so well and on such a a large scale yeah. that even today people aren't really sure of certain things. Um, the big one is whether he faked his own death. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. Yeah. I wanted to read Back to conspiracy theories. I, I wanted to read a quote from Andy Kaufman about his method of entertaining. Um, at one point in a, in a rare introspective interview, he said, I am not a comic. I have never told a joke. The comedian's promise is that he will go out there and make you laugh with him. My only promise is that I will try to entertain you as best yes. as I can. Mm. And he he did have a show at Carnegie Hall where he was playing music. He was doing weird stuff. Like there was a, a famous thing where he would like talk to his grandmother. And when he was at Carnegie Hall, uh, his grandmother was actually Robin Williams in a wig. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that Robin Williams was involved in that. Um, and we should talk about a lot of his early work was consist was based around impressions and characters, sometimes strange. And he was spotted doing a foreign man character who was just, you know, spoke broken English and was confused mm. about things. And that was the part that got adapted into the television show Taxi Driver. Oh, okay. As Latka, that Makes was sense. basically his foreign man character, right? And that was going back to SNL. There's there's a clip in the playlist where it's his performance on SNL and. He's he wasn't well known back then. He was just a guy that got on Saturday Night Live and he does the voice and he's stumbling over his words and he's confused and he's missing stuff and he looks like he's sweating. And this is live TV. So people in the audience, people at home think this guy's bombing. Yeah. And then he just like. Nails what he's doing. Mm -hmm. People die. He just built up this anticipation without even saying a word. And then just with his body language. Everything just clicked. He also had a lot of long-term, long-running bits that went on through large portion of his careers. So, Jeff, what do you think of when you think of some of his long-running ideas? The, the one that uh, hit me personally was the the wrestling. Mm. Um, 
troll, which which it was. Um, that's why we're gonna watch I'm from Hollywood, which is a VHS. It was a movie that Andy Kaufman started to make prior to his death in 1984. They started making it in 1983, where he was compiling a lot of TV appearances and just raw video and stuff about um, what we'll talk about in a minute. And he passed in 1984 and his girlfriend at the time and another friend completed it in 1989 and released it on VHS. I bought this VHS in a grocery store in 1999 <laughs> when they re-released it, probably like in- with coincide with Man yeah, in the Yeah, because it was like he was coming back into like culture and it was a big thing. And, you know, around that time, the few movies I had on VHS were the original Star Wars trilogy- and this and every day after school i would come home and watch one of those four tapes on repeat mm. nonstop. so we should say like basically he became enamored with the idea of eliciting a negative response from his yes. audience so the way he did this was to turn himself into the ultimate wrestling heel or bad guy <laughs> right so he would only wrestle women so he was an oh, intergender champion he would he would egg women on to wrestle him on david letterman's show just in public and um some he, he portrayed himself as this hollywood elitist yeah. like thinks he's better than everyone a lot of times he made fun of wrestling fans called them hillbillies and that gets like into that. the jerry waller right stuff, but like the intergender stuff so he would wrestle women on tv and you know some of them were real but some of them were planted or you yeah. know fakes to get this and people just assumed that this was just him doing his thing yeah at this time he was talking a lot about misogynistic ideals like this was during the women's lib movement and women were interested in proving that they were equal to men yeah and he was like you'll never be equal to us physically and he would ask <laughs> and, and any woman to challenge him he's not like in peak physical shape no he's like my, he's like, <laughs> he's my like a doughy mid-30s yeah. guy balding yeah um and he would go on uh david letterman's show a lot and it was a question for a long time whether david letterman was in on it or not and he started a feud with jerry lawler who people of our age know as just like this a host of like wwf right. raw but in the 70s he, he was, was a big the time king. wrestler yeah. jerry so the they, they started the feud and on david letterman's show uh he suplexes him and breaks <laughs> andy coffin's neck so he's walking around in public always but again with uh neck brace on did he break his neck oh was it planned was it fake there's also a famous slap across the face that people can't tell if it was real or not and what i like about andy kaufman and and i'll get a little bit into his other long running bit that i loved but um we should say that he would never break ever so nobody knows if Jerry the King Lawler was in on it, if David Letterman was in on it, if they really hated each other, if he was really beaten yeah. up, it's left ambiguous. His mm. uh, collaborator and co-writer, Bob Zamuda, refuses to reveal the secrets. Yeah. Well, interestingly, sometimes he will reveal, but then other times he'll reveal the exact opposite. Oh. Still to this day. Yeah. He still goes on about what ifs. Yeah. Um, my thing that I turn to a lot about long running bits is Tony Clifton. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So Tony Clifton, whether you choose to believe or not, is a different person than Andy Kaufman, <laughs> who is a lounge singer, Yeah, who is very rude and crass towards the audience, and basically is not that good of a lounge singer. Just a uh, misogynistic, cigar yeah. smoking, overweight. Yeah, washed up has been. Like New York transplant to Florida. Yeah. 
dirty, okay. leisure suit wearing, guy. mustache, aviator sunglasses. And he basically, if you hear him tell it, he didn't even like Andy Kaufman. Mm. But for some reason, we no one knows really why, Andy owed him a favor and he forced would- Tony Clifton into like good positions. Like Tony mm. Clifton was given guest starring roles in Taxi. Now, what we've been told by films and other people is that Tony Clifton was Andy Kaufman. It was an act. Oh. However. And, and for a while, there was an evolution of the character, which is in the playlist, where, like, yeah, it's obviously Andy Kaufman wearing, like, you know, the leisure suit. But then he starts wearing big glasses and a mustache. And Even he starts prosthetics. Gaining weight. He starts getting prosthetics. So it got to the point where he wanted to prove so bad that it wasn't him that he had Bob Zamuda supposedly dress up like Andy Kaufman and they showed up in the same place at the same time. So people thought they were talking to Andy Kaufman as Tony Clifton. And, and then, then Andy, Andy Kaufman, Kaufman walks up. up. <laughs> this is weird. And to this day, uh, what, some 35 years after his death, Tony Clifton is still making appearances places, which leads to the further confusion. Is this somebody playing Tony Clifton? Is Andy alive? Yeah. People have assumed that, Tony Clifton is now portrayed by Bob Zamuda, but Bob Zamuda denies all this. Oh, this is weird. <laughs> this is going to get weird. Very weird. How did Andy awesome. Kaufman uh, supposedly die? He had cancer. Oh, okay. So he was actually, he died at 35, which is eerie because it's a year older than me. <laughs> and to me, he's just like this, uh, this monolith of a, <laughs> of an entertainer. Yeah. He's such a hero and he, he was doing this stuff younger than me. Um, you know, he probably started in his early 20s, mid 20s when he rose to fame. Well, anti-fame. I yeah. don't know what you want to call it. Um, <laughs> Infamy. He's loved and hated. He is because he would do things like he took the entire theater out for milk and cookies. He <laughs> he hired buses to pick people up and drive them to like After a, Carnegie Hall. Yeah, to like a cookies. diner. And he served them milk and cookies. He would do these weird big things. And to juxtapose, he's also ended comedy shows early by forcing the reading of The Great Gatsby on people. He would just stop in the middle and read because the entire he, book. He, people would think that they were getting one thing. They would go to see Andy Kaufman perform and like, do the Mighty Mouse thing that he or did on do SNL. Latka. Yeah, because he was, fam- he was famous for Latka, the character, yeah. on Taxi. And he would show up and like, I don't want to do it. He's like, let me do my own thing. Then he just stops and he reads an entire book and doesn't stop or he does his entire set as a children's birthday performer and sings kids songs and plays acoustic guitar and never does any of his bits or characters that's awesome and he's and the 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 best part about this is that all of his performances to me are like crying wolf because when he Mm. does this stuff and then he goes on an interview you never know what's real um there's a video of him going on David Letterman. He was, he was on Letterman quite a lot throughout his career um, in the playlist where he shows up and he's not smiling. He's telling this story about how his, his girl's leaving him and he's not doing well and people are laughing at him and he's, he looks confused. He's insisting like, yeah, he's like, that he's upset and that it's this, real. <laughs> this is real. Why are you doing this to me? Um, and you don't know, like we can assume it's an act and it's I really think us. his favorite reaction was that uncomfortable cringy laughter where people are laughing but they don't know if they should be yeah and yeah. especially in this video we're going to talk about that more there's something that comes up that's very um what's the word controversial foreshadowing oh yeah of his future oh. um there's uh, there's also yeah it's 
I love the man. <laughs> he just, he makes you think and he does things that people still today are too afraid to do. Right. And he takes, cause he, yeah. he didn't care about reputation. Um, he, 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 he wanted people to hate him so that other people would laugh. And he just liked that he was getting, you know, if you have an audience of people on their feet screaming at you, mm-hmm. you're eliciting as much emotional response and giving them arguably as much entertainment as them sitting there laughing with you. Yeah. They're still engaged for that entire performance. That's true. That's true. So, Jim, I think you've mentioned you don't have a lot of exposure. Yeah. I'm excited for this. This is going to be, this is going to be a fun one. So, one, what, Go into this just knowing what we told you. Yeah. And also the the big thing before we go to the break is that he died in 1984 and people still today think that he may not have died. Um, mm. You will see that in a few times coming up in the playlist. We put videos in there and some audio um, that might touch on this and yeah, bob zamuda just recently wrote a book with uh andy's wife were they married that Lynn? i believe they were yes or his girlfriend um the truth finally i believe it's called and guess oh, what boy. there's not really a lot of truth <laughs> i'm sure but he keeps perpetrating like yeah. i don't know maybe he's alive and all and he would knows? never break yeah. the joke exactly he would never break the bit and yeah. maybe that's the ultimate punchline yeah so check out the playlist and when we come back, we'll be spoiling, if that's possible, <laughs> Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman is a funny man, apparently. <laughs> wow. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. That's what we learned. Yeah, we learned that Andy Kaufman's a funny boy. So uh, Dan and Jeff gave me a playlist of a bunch of YouTube clips. Obviously, these are all pre-YouTube. They're from the late 70s, early 80s. And uh, we watched them. And so our first clip was, um, was it his first appearance on SNL or just uh, a random One of them appearance? was from November 8th, 1975, <laughs> which is like a month after Saturday Night Live premiered. Oh, wow. So it was still pretty early on. Yeah, that's crazy. So he started off... Um, this was his foreign man, foreign man character that you guys were talking about. Yeah, and uh, I thought the voice was great, um, and I liked that the audience didn't quite get it, uh, right? But, but they're still going along with it, because which is cool. At this time, SNL had like stand-ups on. Yeah, sometimes like in lieu of musical guests or with them. So I, I'm really interested to know if even people at home, because it was live, knew what was going on or knew that it was like a joke and he wasn't an actual stand-up. Yeah, it felt um, super awkward, but still, um, like positive. It's it's kind of a weird thing. Yeah. You can't help but smile at his enthusiasm of like this this confused sort of but good natured guy telling like a super mundane story and doing doing bad imitations. Um, the other thing I thought of when we watched the foreign man stuff is. It doesn't come off as problematic to me, even in this day and age when, you know, we're more sensitive to like, you know, making fun of people with accents and stuff. I think a lot of it is that it's such a generic foreign man. Like, it's not like anybody specifically. It's kind of like no, Robin Williams did the same thing. And there's too. no stereotypes. Yeah, that's, yeah. To me, that's it is he doesn't punch down. So he's never um, playing the foreign man character as stupid or bad or. Or portraying mm-hmm. any like negative stereotypes, like you said, Jeff. He's just naive. He's just naive and innocent. 
yeah. which is sort yeah. of refreshing. He's just like this good-natured guy like, with a funny accent. Like when he asked to stop the tapes, and at this time it's promoted as a live show. Like <laughs> yeah. Everybody's excited, like, wow, this is crazy that it's live and not pre-recorded. It's so good. And it's it's really funny. And then he starts crying because he messes up. Yeah, the crying and, is amazing. And that turns into him playing on the congas. and Which is so fun. Very fun. Because he never has to come out and be like, this is the gag, or like, bow at the end. You understand the joke because it turns into absurdity. So you're like, even if you went through that whole bit thinking that he was a real guy who was like just foreign and didn't understand what was going on, by the time his crying turns into a conga line, you're like, oh, this is a bit, and it's funny. Yeah, it was super good. The The payoff was amazing. I also love that he, he kept silence too, like... There was a lot of times where he was just silent and oh, the yeah. audience was just kind of like chuckling. Yeah, there's dead air. Not quite sure what was happening. And even yeah. early on at this point, he was willing to break standard broadcasting, uns- you know, unspoken norms. Yeah. Which leads perfectly into the next clip. Yeah, which, which gets is, a little more awkward. Which is yeah. the biggest SNL ripoff of all time, Fridays. Yeah, which, I didn't even hear about it. It was only this. on for like a season or yeah. two. This it launched from... some big people, though. I mean, obviously you saw Andy Kaufman. You saw Michael Richards, who went yeah. on to play Kramer. And also Larry David, after he got fired from SNL, he worked on Friday. Yep. Yep. I saw that. Yeah. This one's from uh, 1981. So, Jim, why don't you lead with this? Like, have, did you ever hear of this? Did you know anything I never about heard. Uh, I think you guys were talking about how I think you guys might have mentioned something like this in the beginning, um, but I didn't hear about this. I knew nothing about it. So basically it was Kaufman and Michael Richards and. Another actress, too. I don't remember who it was. Maybe two actresses? Yes. Yeah. There were um, two couples the, on a date. Yeah, yeah. The concept of the sketch was a pretty, like, pedestrian and boring idea of these two couples on a double date. And throughout the dinner, they were, each of them was sneaking away to the bathroom to get high on marijuana. Yeah, it was kind of weird how they were sort of introducing the the sketch as they were going along. But I think that had to do with the Kaufman bit. I'm not completely sure, but I think it added to it. Um but yeah, so basically, it, it appears that Kaufman doesn't remember his lines, I believe. And no. uh, I don't remember exactly. He, he, what he says is he didn't feel comfortable portraying someone who's high since he's not <laughs> like a marijuana smoker. Yeah. He said he felt dumb and felt dopey. Okay. But, it, yeah. but it's live as well. Yeah. So you can't stop the tapes. So this is when the other actors start to get upset at him because they're doing their jobs they've known the lines they've rehearsed them and here he is just like in the middle of a skit bombing and purposely yeah yeah yeah. and then uh michael richards grabs the cue cards and puts them right in front of andy kaufman and then uh i think somebody was pulling him away well he threw a glass of water in yeah. his face. Oh yeah, that's and then, right. And then the whole crowd got pulled in and one of the women actresses starts to rub food from the table into Andy's hair and he gets mad. It, it was And they, they're yelling to stop show. the tapes and you're <laughs> yeah. wondering like why aren't they just cutting the commercial cuz it's live? Yeah, it's um, because clearly it's a bit. But well, clearly, I mean, I, I don't know. I think there's some debate when at, you have a person like Andy Kaufman involved in things like these. Yeah, I but, feel like but people. This is we're, new. We're looking at this in retrospect. Yeah, he's never. I believe this is his first big like stunt. Where there's mm. to me, there's a question of who knows. It's not is it real or it's fake because obviously he knew what was going on. Yeah. Yes, 
The question is, who else knows? So the rumor is, is that some people knew, and they get into it in the next video. We put up the apology video from the yeah. next week. But even today, the rumor is that some people knew and some didn't. So some <laughs> actors, some producers yeah. knew that it was going to happen and some didn't because they wanted to elicit real reactions. Yeah. And it was like an art piece. And then that's what they explain in the apology um, segment from the producer. And Andy comes out to start to apologize. And even then he breaks. So then this this to me seems like scripted, like the producer knows, but it's still you still don't know from the week before yeah, yeah, what actually was real and not. That's true. And his take on the apology is so perfect. Like, even in his admission, he actually casts further doubts on what's real yes. and what's what's not real. Yeah. So in something that should be used to clarify, he actually deeper deepens the confusion. Yeah. And whether it's real or not, it's still funny because it's so awkward and so cringeworthy. Yeah, the whole I'm not joking, you're laughing at this, it's pretty tasteless. Yeah, and he's like, What's what's wrong with you people? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, that was really good. He and- goes on to do that and other things. I I think I accidentally left it out of this playlist, but he goes on um Letterman. He goes on Letterman later yeah. when he talks about like he comes on and he's he doesn't smile at all and he's just talking about like how uh, he's having like problems with his spouse. And mm-hmm. this is right, maybe like a year before he died of cancer. And on the air, he's like coughing and stuff. Yeah. Like oh, really geez. bad. So it was probably real coughs of him like being sick. And the audience is laughing like <laughs> riotously. That's dark. And and he's like, why are you laughing? This isn't funny. Well, and that's the interesting thing is with him, like he's so quick. I feel like the coughing or like his initial reaction was probably real. And then when he felt the audience laughing, he rolled that into a bit. Yeah. Because I don't think he was really pissed off at the audience, but he no, realized no, no. that that was a moment where he could take advantage of that uncomfortable laughter that right. he was So his, his whole appearance on that clip, which I thought I had included, but I didn't, was to just like be sad and see how the audience reacts. The mm-hmm. joke was that. Mm-hmm. That um, makes sense. Then we get to something that I, even I wasn't familiar with. I think this is on the album that you I wanna, have that I don't. I'm going to... I'm going to move this to the end. Let's talk about this at the end of the YouTube clips. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Um, so the next one is Tony Clifton, his first TV appearance as Tony from 1977. Yeah. So Jimmy, we did tell you about Tony Clifton yes. in the first segment, and this is the beginning. And the next video is, is uh, more recent, a, a good comparison because it shows, well, it's two short videos, but it shows the beginning of the character to who the character at became. the height of its uh, the height of Tony Clifton's power. So what did you okay. think about this, Jim? No, I thought the Tony Clifton bit was pretty good. I thought the personality was really on point and um, just the I don't know. The character, I think, is if you choose to believe it's a character. Um, well, the first one is definitely Andy, Andy Kaufman. Kaufman. I mean, he doesn't yeah, have glasses absolutely. on, no prosthetics. Nope. Yeah, yeah you can definitely tell that. Yeah, it's he's him. just playing a character. Yeah. Um, but then the second one, Tony Clifton tells a hilarious joke. Yeah. Was that was interesting? You could definitely see that uh, because that actually showed Kaufman in the audience, right? But the camera cuts to the audience. See, this wasn't yeah, live. This so was, that wasn't um, live. The Andy Kaufman. That's what I special. assumed. Yeah, yeah, but you know that this is Bob's Muda as a fan. Is it? Yeah, it's definitely Bob's Muda. I could tell by the voice. Oh, oh, really? See, I, I can't. I still can't tell because I don't yeah. know. So Bob's which Muda as which. Kaufman. No, Bob Zamuda as Tony. Okay, so that makes more sense. As, I call it Bob Tony. Bob Tony. Andy Tony and Bob Tony. And and this is Bob Tony, but it's Tony Clifton at the height of his powers. He's 
he's so combative with the audience. He's literally against participation. Like when people are like calling back answers, he gets mad and tries to drag the guy on the stage. But this also highlights what Dan said earlier about like he owes him a favor for some reason. In this introduction, Andy says that he's his protege, but like (laughs) that's there's no very strange. Who is Tony Clifton? Like how many stand up comedians do you know that bring weird, bad lounge singers (laughs) on stage? Yeah, I don't know. I, I could see Eugene Merman doing something like that. Yeah, well, not without Andy Kaufman doing it first, <laughs> though. True. Yeah, and, yep. and the other thing that I love about this clip is how they cut back to Andy. Like, Andy introduces him, but then they cut back at the end of the clip mm-hmm. to just awkward, uncomfortable laughter from Andy as the rest of the audience is, like, disinterested. <laughs> he's just cracking yeah. up. But I that's, that's why that, I, yeah. I'm pretty sure that it's, he's not, it's not laughing live because it cuts and he's just, like, going crazy laughing uncontrollably at yeah. a bad joke i don't know which is the joke it's it's very strange and very weird and i i kind of love it and it also ties into this mystery of is he laughing and does he bring tony clifton out because he legitimately likes him and thinks it's funny or is it this <laughs> background storyline of like he's forced to for some reason or another right is he like laughing because he's like oh i gotta laugh for this guy it's just enough it just deepens the whole weird mystery so then we get to uh, Kaufman's appearance on the dating game. Yeah. Which I just think it, the dating game itself is, is such a good formula for hilarity. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's actually on the actual dating game as this character, I think is amazing. So the crazy thing about this, right, is Paul Rubens also did this. He went on yeah. as Pee Wee Herman Pee-wee. when he was working out the character with the groundlings. Yeah, yeah. But at this point, this is from 1978. So Andy Coffin was on SNL in 1975 and Taxi was from 1978 to 82. Mm-hmm. So this is either at the beginning of Taxi or like right when it's starting. So he's not a total unknown right now. Yeah. People yeah. are aware of who he is, yeah, which yeah. I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is the other thing is if you do a little research, you find out that at this time, game shows, the dating game and some other game shows would actually use um stand-ups and like you know starting out actors as themselves but they would use it to like put a little extra oomph into their cast so in other words you get a stand-up comedian who's naturally witty and sharp and fast to be on your game show and they just inject a little humor yeah well they had andy kaufman and he (laughs) had no interest in being like funny like Oh, I'll just use little quips to make this even better. He just took over the entire segment. Yeah, it was amazing. I, I just think that because he was using that same character, the the foreign Bajit. man. Yeah, um, that, which I I thought was great. Going back to what Dan said about his naivety, mm-hmm. na- naivete. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah, that's exactly that's the what he does because he doesn't. Yeah. So the the premise behind this was the host. I don't know who it is. Some guy who looks like he could have been a mafioso's friend. <laughs> um, says that. Bachelor number three canceled. They just pulled this guy off the street, obviously. So he's in on it. You know that. Yeah. So so the show's in on it. He's in on it. But he doesn't understand the concept of the game. So when they ask him questions, he says, I don't know what she looks like. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was so so good. I don't know about you guys. It's it's not clear. But to me, it seems like the host and the producers, the people making the show, know what Andy's going to do. But I don't think the other contestants. No, I don't think so. Or the female. Nope. Or the audience know what's happening. Correct. Yeah. And um, I love towards the end was when his entire facial expression <laughs> changes, like when he thinks, when he finds out he lost. 
Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, no, no, I won. I answered all the questions right. It's so good. <laughs> and he just like, he just like stumbles over there awkwardly. You're like, oh, come give her a hug and a kiss. He's like, I don't want to. I've yeah. seen this before many times. I don't want to say like, you know, 20 times. I've yeah. seen it a few times, but this had me crying. Yeah. I was laughing so loud at this. It's so good. It, it's probably my favorite thing that we've watched on these, all, everything that we've watched. And I like it because... A lot of people remember his negative stuff. Like, we're going to get to the wrestling yes. and things like that. And, yeah. And the combativeness. This is super lighthearted. It's yeah. super fun and, like, optimistic. Especially and, on a show like The Dating Game, which yeah. is already, like, TV when TV was, like, super positive and all I, those game shows. I think he and, really did have two sides of his personality that he wanted to explore. He wanted to be the hero and the villain. Yeah. And you see that in other things. Right. I mean, talking about optimism, we go on to the last clip. <laughs> right. Friendly World before sing the along. We move. The Friendly World Andy Kaufman special from 1979. And it's just such a fun, happy spirited song. Yeah. Bit. And it goes back to him playing children's songs. It goes back to him impersonating Elvis. That's exactly what I he, wrote down. He idolized Elvis and he like wanted to be like this guy mm. that everybody loved. And this video, Jim, was played at his funeral. Um, oh, was and, it? In Man on the Moon, they kind of showed that too, mm-hmm. the biopic. Mm-hmm. It, it but, actually wasn't this video. It was filmed for his funeral. He filmed the sing-along to be played. Right. But oh, it was, it's a song. It was a song. Right. It was yeah, this yeah, song. Yeah. It was literally him speaking to camera, and they did it follow the bouncing ball yeah. at his funeral. Oh, that's awesome. And not to get too in, like, too, uh, I don't know, psychological with it, but to me... Like, I always wonder when I see this stuff, is this the real Andy? Mm. He chose to have this played at his funeral. It's like, this is the song and dance man, like Jeff talked about, the childlike entertainer. Yeah. Um, Is this the way he wanted the world to remember him? I think so. It's just pure, unadulterated joy. He's not afraid of being corny or cliche or whatever. He brings up all these people, like his teacher, all these people onto the stage and just leads them in an optimistic sing-along. Yeah, but even at a funeral, which is, you know, a sad. The, the saddest thing that you can see mm-hmm. for the most part, um, he wants to go out with people laughing. Exactly. That's all he wants. He just wants people to be happy. That's why I think this is the closest to the real Andy that we I think we, so, we too. See. And I mean, if, if you read more about his personal life or watch Man on the Moon, you see there's some darker stuff in his personal life. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say it's like evil or anything like that. He just wants people to be happy. Um, yeah, and we all have different aspects of our personality. He wasn't afraid to show the darker sides and the lighter sides. Right. Mm. And then going back to that clip, it's from... Um, I want those tapes. Yeah, so in 2013... Um, a record was released that I wasn't even on my radar. I saw it at our local record store and I bought it because it's mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman and I need it in my life. And he had recorded from and it's 19- called Andy Kaufman and his grandmother. Andy right? and his grandmother is the name of the album. Uh-huh. And th- this clip is called I Want Those Tapes because he bought a tape recorder in 1977 to 79, which at that time were expensive. Mm-hmm. But he was a famous TV star, so he can afford it. And he recorded just conversations but he was also doing weird shit, too, on there. Like, he was recording songs that you could only listen to while you were asleep, which was a very funny bit. But I put this one on here because he was talking to his girlfriend at the time, and he had recorded her saying a bunch of stuff, talking about a bunch of stuff. 
and she's arguing with him like i want those tapes i don't want any oh this else was lynn i was wondering i don't know if it was her or another girl okay at the t- i think it was a different girl because they bleep out her name they don't say who it is yeah um but then he's talking to somebody on the phone it was either his lawyer or his friend i don't think it was bob's muda yeah i wasn't sure about that either it didn't sound like bob but that was someone that he typically bounced these ideas off of. Right. And then um, he was saying like, oh, if I release these, uh, she might kill me. And he's like, wouldn't that be great if uh, if I got killed, but if I was more famous? And they were talking about faking his own death and how funny it would be. Yeah. And listening to it 30 years after he dies was chilling. Like it went. Mm-hmm. And this is the last track on the record. So I'm listening. I just sat down, put on headphones, put the record on, listened to it side to side was laughing i was you know enjoying his comedy and this just like changed my mood at the mm-hmm. end because it's so ah it's, it's just creepy yeah it is yeah what'd you think of this jim i thought it was interesting i was confused in the beginning because i didn't really have any context it for just it. throws you in yeah um but yeah the, the whole how he's basically explaining how he's going to fake his own death and come was, back as another person, Tony yeah. Clifton. Oh yeah, wouldn't it be great if she killed me. <laughs> so yeah. so messed up. I don't know. It, it's really interesting to think about. Obviously, I think that he's obviously passed away a long time ago. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely fun to Just think about. Just the fact though that he ha- was able to sow that little seed of doubt, where we're even talking about. Yeah, like, for sure. Right, because I was with Jimmy for a long time. I was like, he's dead. Like it would be. It's so funny to think about him still being alive, just like living a secret life on an Arizona yeah. farm or ranch or something. Yeah. Um, but then he comes out with this and just changes everything. Yeah. And like the people who put this out, if he is alive, did he purposely hold this back until 2013? Until 29 <laughs> years after he died? Who knows? I, I think that it, it, it's, it's just really funny for people to think that he's going to be still alive while they should be mourning him. I th- I think that he just likes the idea of that. Yeah, he just kept the joke running. Yeah. So, yeah. And then moving on from the, the lighthearted Andy that we were just talking about to the, the, <laughs> the Andy ultimate that, heel. Yeah, might be a villain. Um, So, we watched I'm From Hollywood, which is a, a sh- short documentary about his wrestling careers, intergender Championship. wrestling championship yeah that's very difficult to find online so we also put a playlist of like the raw material that this documentary um was stitched together yeah um so you can watch that but we're just going to talk briefly about his the whole his wrestling, wrestling saga because it was several years of his life it wasn't just was like to it it wasn't just like a month of time it, yeah it went pretty crazy he would he would put on these wrestling events because he always wanted to be a wrestler when he was growing up yeah, he loved this, the high drama of it and this is before wwf went crazy with it like this is before wrestlemania and before hulk hogan and before andre the giant before everything it was still a more regional thing like he makes fun of a lot of the wrestlers and the fans calling them like hillbillies yeah it was very popular yeah. in the south and he would wrestle women. Some sometimes they were real, but a lot of times he would just have women come from the audience and wrestle him. And he would beat them because you know he was big and strong, which yeah. he really wasn't. Yeah. Um. So he became the intergender championship, and the the whole character was about misogyny. Yeah, and, and this was I mean was I'm a sh- creep. I'm sure that there were wrestling heels um before him oh yeah but he really became like the first big villain and because of his star status he was able to bring that character to a wider audience 
than wrestling. It, it was being televised. Was like a lot of wrestling wasn't televised. The Tonight or Show was on and stuff. Public TV. Yeah. Um, even David Letterman wasn't as big back then, but he still was on cable. Yeah. Um, and the the story goes that he was wrestling a woman and it was getting a little rough. And then Jerry Lawler, who we know as just like this moderator for WWF, WCW, but he was, he was a popular wrestler back then. He was one of their biggest stars at that time. Jerry, the King. Yeah. He, he runs into the ring and starts beating up Andy and it just started this years long feud, which kept going on and on. So uh, Jimmy, if you want to take it from here. Yeah. So um, apparently uh, Jerry Lawler, said that Andy was suing him. Uh, I, I think at the end of the, that match, he said he was going to sue him. Well, there becomes all these weird layers, not to interrupt you, but... Yeah, sure. So, um, they have this initial fight, and Jerry Lawler performs a pile driver. Yeah. Uh, which supposedly broke Andy's neck, and then... And he, he's never seen without a brace until it heals. Like, even in public, yeah. he's always wearing yeah. a neck brace. And Andy comes out and says, listen... The whole thing was a bit, all this was a bit, Jerry knew it was a bit, but he went too far and he did the pile driver when he wasn't <laughs> supposed to. So now it's real. Yeah. And now I'm suing him. And then it just, it just keeps going. They're on Letterman. And there's doubts back and forth throughout this whole time of what's real. Um, yeah. So uh, I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get through a lot of this. Um, I'm not a huge fan of wrestling. So this kind of stuff just kind of fell off for me. Um, I, I, I think I like the concept better than I like the actual you just, execution. What what you really have to get from this, if you don't want to watch all of the wrestling matches that are in the playlist yeah. or all of the TV bits, because there's like, there's a lot of just shit talking to the camera, you know? He's yeah. like, I'm from Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I love that next. bit. The, the, I'm from Hollywood stuff, which is so funny. I love the fact that he's acting so entitled, uh, because he he, play, he so plays funny. up the fame. He's just a guy from yeah, Long yeah. Island who was on a TV show, but he plays up like I'm famous. Yeah. He's a coastal elite. Yeah. <laughs> um what you really have to know is that this is just like a three or four year troll. Yeah. Like yeah. that that's what he did. And there were even points, I don't know if you got to it, where he said that um, you know, he got into another feud with Jimmy Hart, who was another big wrestler at the time. Mm. And then he said that he wanted to to team up with Jerry Lawler, put everything aside to beat Jimmy Hart in a tag team match. And then at the end of that, Jimmy Hart turns on Jerry Lawler. So you have these <laughs> double crosses, which I don't know. I'm not that into wrestling when I don't know when this became popular. But this is this seems to me like it could be one of the first big double crosses, which became a <laughs> staple of what made wrestling uh, entertainment great from the 80s to 90s. And there's also parts of this that made television history, like the slap on Letterman was a big deal when Jerry yeah. Lawler slaps him and knocks him out of the chair and and Andy goes crazy. I'm suing Letterman. I'm suing <laughs> Jerry Lawler. And nobody to this day will say what is real. You know, yeah. Jerry Lawler alludes that it was all in good fun and that they're great. They were great friends. And he's a good guy. But, but there's, there's also there's reports of him like being legitimately pissed off and maybe taking some of these bits further than they should have. Yeah. Right. Like Andy accused him of being like a big dumb meathead and getting carried away with the bit and actually hurting Andy. So who knows? It's somewhere in between probably. Yeah, probably. So, yeah. Nope. Jimmy, we've prevent we've presented to you. Yeah. Both sides of Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Well, do well, you have any overall thoughts? Overall, I think. His entire career, I guess I would say, is super interesting. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who had no idea who Kaufman was. And uh, I was kind of explaining to him like how he would just basically do these bits in real life and just totally gaslight people. And people would have no idea if it was real or not. And he was like, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, 
just people even just explaining Kaufman, I think is worth it. You know, I think the most impressive part is that most of this and most of what we know and have seen or heard of Andy Kaufman is from a 10 year period. And we're talking about it 40, 50 years later. Mm hmm. He's like the Beatles. That's like 10 years, too. <laughs> he did inspire a lot of the comedy that we see today. Like, oh, for sure. Jeff just referenced Eugene Merman. Yeah. And if you, um, when I was watching this, uh, the old comedy our scene. YouTube playlist on my TV, um, it kept going. So I watched another bit thinking that Dan had added it to the playlist and I didn't know it. <clears throat> and he was um, interviewing his ex-girlfriend, Elaine uh, Boozler. <laughs> and it was like this talk show format but his table was elevated on a platform like 15 feet high. <laughs> and then the camera pans out and she's sitting down looking up at him. I'm like, this is absurd. And that is a clear inspiration of the Eric, Eric Andre, Andre show. show. Oh, um, yeah. He inspired Tom Green by doing like man on the street stuff. Yep. Like He didn't necessarily go out on the streets and record people. But Tom Green did that with his parents. He would do all this crazy stuff. And they took mm-hmm. it to Sasha another Sasha Cohen. Exactly. You're talking yeah. about eliciting comedy from unknowing participants like. That's a huge thing. Like, yeah, it's just he was absolutely a pioneer. It, it It's insane. The the amount of stuff that he did. And like what you said, a 10 year period. Yeah. So I think the time has come to find out. Jeff, you want to join me in on this? I do. Jimmy, Jimmy did, did we, we talk, talk you into, into Andy Kaufman? Kaufman? Once upon a midnight jury, while I pondered weak and weary. Over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of one gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember, it was in that bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, mainly I sought to borrow." From my book's decrease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels named Lenore, nameless here and nevermore. And the silken set uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors that I'd never felt before, so that now to the still beating of my heart I stood repeating, some way visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, that is it, and nothing more. Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating, then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping. And so faintly you came tapping, tapping on my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal had ever dreamed before. But the silence was unbroken, and stillness gave no token. And the only word there was spoken in a whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered into an echo, murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again I heard tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what the threat is and the mystery implore. Let my heart be still a moment in this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when, with many flirt and flutter, and there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mane of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon the palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling, though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, 
Ghastly Grimm and Ancient Raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what the word we name in the night's Platonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly follow to the discourse so plainly, though it answered little meaning, little relevance he bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing the bird above the chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculpture bust above the chamber door was such a name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely in the placid bust spoke only, that one word as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, tis I scarcely more than muttered, only friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply and aptly spoken, doubtless said I, what it utters is only stock in store. Call from unhappy master from unmerciful disaster. Followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore. Till the dirges of his hope that the melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled cushioned seat in front of the bird and bust in the door. Then upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking. Fancy into fancy thinking what ominous bird of yore. What is this grim ungainly ghastly gun and ominous bird of yore? Men and croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in blessing, but no syllable expressing. To the fowl whose fiery eyes now burn into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining. On the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er. But whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er? She shall pass, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed with unseen censer. Swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tuft floor. Wretched, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, but these angels he hath sent thee. Respite, respite thee, Nepenthe, from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff these kind of penthe, and forget these lost Lenore. Quaff the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet of still, of bird or devil, whether tempest sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore. Desolate, yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore. Is there, is there bomb a Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet of still, if bird or devil. By that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore. Tell the soul with sorrow laden if, within the distant Aden, it shall clasp a saint and maiden, whom the angels name Lenore. Clasp a rare and radiant maiden, whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word of sign or parting, bird or fiend, I shrinked upstarting. Get thee back from these tempests in the night plutonium shore. Leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bus above my door. Take thy beat from my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting. On the pallid bust of palace, just above my chamber door. And his eyes have a seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamp light o'er him, streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted. Nevermore. Do you understand? <laughs> Thank you very much.